Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week on the show, we have... We have Heather Day Gilbert. Yes, we do. It was a great interview. It was so fun. We laughed a lot. And she's she's super smart. And um, she was she was trad published, and then she, now she's indie. Mm-hmm. And we yep. talk about genre hopping. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. And she's a cozy writer. Yes. And so we talked about how she launched her indie cozy series, mm-hmm. and um, got some good tips on launching and a lot of mindset stuff on like mm-hmm. how she had to change her thinking around publishing and yeah. uh, success and things like that. Yeah. Uh, she talked about the fame fog, which I thought was very interesting. Yes. We'll yes. just leave that as an open loop. So you mm-hmm. guys will find yeah. that out in the interview. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. So, so that's coming going up. on with you. Well, this week I I've been out of town most of the week. We had a family wedding. So mm-hmm. went and did that and, that's pretty much taken up the whole week because we had to travel over there and it was on a Friday. So um, just got back in town. We're recording this on Sunday. So mm-hmm. we just got back and it was a good trip. And um, I did zero writing basically mm-hmm. over there. I didn't, I read some books. I read a book mm-hmm. on the way back and mm-hmm. it was a nice break. And so I feel yeah. like now I'm ready to get back into it. It was a good right. break, good rest. Right. And um, I just barely checked my email once or mm-hmm. twice and, stayed off social media. So Hmm. it was a good week. It was not my typical week, but it was very good. That's awesome. That's awesome. What about you? Well, I've just been getting ready to go to Vegas, which I leave tomorrow Mm -hmm. to go to 20, the 20 books, 50 K conference in Vegas. And I've been working, you know, just rehearsing my speech and, um, you know, trying to strike that balance between being entertaining and informative um and then um yeah i mean we've had um some family stuff going on too you know just that have kind of filled the evenings in particular and um so yeah i don't have a whole lot of writing news either but next week i probably will so tune in for that yeah yeah, you'll have to give us an update i will and so if you can't be there you can watch a lot of the 20 book stuff through their Facebook group, right? So no, it, it or, was well. If you signed up for the virtual conference, you could. Okay. But now that's closed, but I, they will put everything on um, YouTube later. So yeah, not sooner rather than later. It won't yeah. even be very long, I don't think. But yeah. um, I don't think you know. In the beginning, you could watch it in the in the group mm-hmm. uh, Facebook group, but I don't think they're doing that anymore. So okay. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, like, if you can't be there and you're curious yeah. and you want to see who's there and kind of what happened, mm-hmm. you can follow up later and check for yeah. it on YouTube. Absolutely. And a lot of it will be available. Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, we're not going to do a question of the week because I'm going to be out of town and Sarah's got some stuff going on. So we will just get on with the interview because it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So we will hear from Heather now. So mm-hmm. here she is. Today on the podcast, we're really excited to talk to Heather Day Gilbert. Hi, Heather. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. We are so excited to have you here. <laughs> Thank you. I'm excited too. Great. All right, well, let me read your bio and we'll get into the questions. 
Award-winning novelist Heather Day Gilbert enjoys writing mysteries and Viking historicals. She brings authentic family relationships to the page, and she particularly delights in heroines who take a stand to protect those they love. When she's not plotting stories, this native West Virginian can be also, also be found hanging out with her husband and four children, playing video games, or reading Agatha Christie novels. So yeah. I totally identify with that last time. <laughs> You are, you are speaking Sarah's language. That's right. <laughs> what did you, um, tell us how you got into writing, Heather. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that like a lot of authors who've been on here, like I was a reader first, you know, I, I started reading really young. I was four. I, I remember reading in the basement, like the mildewy smell. Of the book. <laughs> um, so I, I loved reading and it's kind of funny because in retrospect, one of my, one of my favorite books was the little engine that could. And mm-hmm. honestly, I think that is like your author, my author journey for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the authors in general, but, um, but then, you know, I, I won contests, you know, during school and then at college I took, um, my major was humanities. So I was able to take just a lot of things that I wanted to take like German and judo and, (laughs) but I took, um, especially a lot of literature and writing classes. So, and then I, you know, won an extemporaneous, uh, essay contest there in college. I wrote for newspapers after college. But then I got married and I had um, three kids. They were, I had three that were three and under for a while. So I was just really busy. And I just basically wrote poetry just to, to write something. Um, and I tried to write a book a couple times, uh, just couldn't finish it, you know. Um, but then I forget what year it was, but NaNoWriMo had started up and a friend of mine from college challenged uh, me and another friend to writing a book in a month. So um, we didn't even do it in like November, which is the (laughs) appropriate month. We did it in like January, but you know, my kids, I think my youngest was maybe six at that time. So I still didn't, and I homeschooled those, Mm -hmm. all those, uh, you know, I have a fourth child that I got a lot later in life. (laughs) But those three I homeschooled. And so um, I had to like go down in our basement with the cats roaming around and freezing in this big robe. And um, but I managed to crank out a book, you know, 50,000 word book in a month. And Mm. I was like, I shocked myself. And then I actually got an agent with that book. That book has never been published um, because 50,000 words is short. And that was something I didn't even realize at the time for the genre that I was writing. So. Yeah, I guess that's how I got into writing. Another thing that kind of inspired me, and this is kind of um, crazy, I guess, but was the Twilight series. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking about that today. I know. I just, I don't know what it is. There's something about that series that I love. And I I think I love the first person. I think it was first person present tense, Mm -hmm. um, which is the tense I wrote my book in. But I think it helped me because at that time, Stephanie Meyer posted, you know, a little bit online, but I knew she was a housewife. Like she was a stay at home mom with kids. Mm -hmm. And so I realized, look at what she can do. You know, if she can do it, then maybe I can do it. So that's kind of, I think that's, that's about all I was going to say about how I got started. So, yeah, Yeah, that's so funny because I I was just at the, like Michael's Hobby Lobby. I can't remember Mm -hmm. which one. Because they're on every corner, I had to get a frame fixed. 
But I saw this picture and I was like, oh, that gives me twilight vibes because it was like a misty forest. And then I just sat there a minute and thought, what was it about that series? I was, I just was immersed in, and I know I'm not the only one for a while. I thought I was the only middle-aged woman that was, but now I know better. And, but yeah, gosh, just to tap into that would be so awesome. But yeah, I I get what you're saying. It was sort Mm -hmm. of my, it was my gateway drug into romance. And Mm -hmm. then eventually, you know, of course I wrote romance, but um, I I, I hear you. I hear you for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that people, throw, you know, people throw shade on Stephanie Meyer all the time. And I'm like, come on. I mean, literally those books, they've kind of stood the test of time, like mm-hmm. Harry Potter and stuff. I mean, just certain people know about them, I guess. Mm-hmm. But right. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. they went beyond their like their yeah. genre. There are certain right. books They're that have reach. gone on. Yeah. yeah like right. Twilight. And that comes up again and again in the interviews we've done. Twilight comes up. Fifty Shades of Grey comes up as a lot of mm-hmm. books. Right that people read and got into writing because of that. And mm-hmm. I don't, people mention Harry Potter, but I don't know if mm-hmm. they started writing because of Harry Potter, but. But I do think Harry Potter does like, it did the same thing. It was mm-hmm. supposed to be a children's book. And now it's like, you know, everyone yeah. read it. Yeah I, yeah. I always say that I started reading it because, you know, people in our church were like, Oh, you can't let your kids read that. Oh, I'm like, yeah. listen, I'm going to make that decision myself. Yeah. So I yeah. read the first one to see if my kids could read it, couldn't put it down, read all of them. And I don't think my kids have ever read even. Well, I, well that's not true. <laughs> my son as an adult has read them, but at the time, none of them cared one thing about reading them, but I was hooked. <laughs> like, yeah. hooked. So yeah. yeah. That's, that's what we want. We want to hook people and then mm-hmm. reach a little bit beyond what we would normally yeah. Our normal sphere exactly. of, re- of readers. Yeah. Exactly. Well, tell yeah. us, what is your definition of success? Well, this one, you know, I had to think about this a lot and I've heard so many good definitions on your show that I'm just like, <laughs> there's no way I can come up with anything to top them. But um, as I thought about it, I thought there's kind of like two sides to success. I would say, um, at least in my mind, like there's the immediate success of, getting money. I have two daughters in private college and one in private school. So it's like, um, there's the immediate success of getting enough money to help pay for that or to pay for all of that, ideally. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there are other types of immediate success. Like, I don't know if it was on your show or where I've heard, maybe it was on Joanna Penn's show. There's one author who visualized her perfect day. Do you, I don't know if you guys know. Yeah. Trisha O'Malley. She like mm-hmm. lives on an island or something. Yes. Yes. I'm just like, whoa, okay. So um, <laughs> like, I went to that type of success. Like ever since I was a kid, I've wanted an in-ground pool. And here in West Virginia, it's just like unheard of. Like nobody has that. So that still is my goal. I, I remember begging my parents for an in-ground pool. And it's like <laughs> having no concept of how much yes. it would cost. So right. now I'm hard to be, you dig a hole. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Build a pond. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like that. Okay. So, like, if I ever reached that level where I had an in ground, you know, enclosed mm-hmm. pool, I would be feeling pretty successful. Um, but, you know, those are just, and of course, having readers talk to you and say they love the characters, they love the story world. Right. Um, 
I love that. And, mm-hmm. and your temporary success changes. Like when I, when I mm-hmm. launched my first book, I probably put about 200 into that book. I saved costs on a lot of fronts, but in that case, I was just hoping to earn back 200. I felt like mm-hmm. if I just get 200 back, you know, I'll be successful. And <laughs> right. of course that's shifted. And like, I, I listen to a lot of the Becca Syme stuff and the Clifton strengths and mm-hmm. I've got high achievers. So like, you know, the goalposts are always shifting and getting bigger. But I think that, so like in terms of temporary success, um, I'll just be thrilled if I can pay for, you know, my kid's college and everything like that. But there's also a long-term success that I think I've been shooting for ever since I started indie publishing. And I wanted to like maintain this standard of excellence. Like I could compete with traditionally published books right from the first book I did. You know, that was, that was like my goal. And so sort of my long-term goal is that my books will stand the test of time. Kind of like, kind of like Agatha Christie, even though mm-hmm. I would never myself to her because she's just a genius, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. leaving a legacy for my kids. Um, I just worked out a contract, um, for another book that I'm going to be doing with a co-author next year. And we had to think about the long term, like mm-hmm. how do we divvy up the royalties in the long run or for our kids? And mm-hmm. so, um, I think for me, like a long-term success is having lasting characters, lasting series, kind of like a classic um, that would stand the test of time, that would hold up through time that my kids could be proud of and things like that. So that's kind of like a two-prong type of success. Yeah, I think that's very smart, though, because our our definition of success does change. And like you have certain goals and things that you think, if I can just do this, if I can just Mm -hmm. make X amount of money per month, you know, that will be awesome. And then you achieve that. And then you're like, okay, that's great. Let me see if I can stretch and do something else. So over time things change, but yeah, I I identify with the writing books that last. That's one of the things that, that I want. I want people, you know, hopefully 10, 20 years from now to pick up my books and read them and go, Oh, that was great. Hopefully Mm -hmm. they can find them 10 or 20 years from now. I thought of that too. Hopefully things won't have changed, but you know, our kids or whatever people, our family will maintain the rights. So I figure how things are getting published. Right. You know, I know people in, in my, like I'm Gen X. So it's like, we've seen the collapse of Ma Bell and AOL and all these things you think will never collapse. So there is always that reality that Amazon might, but hopefully yeah. there will still be ways to get books out and your yes. kids will have the rights to those yeah. stories. Right. Yeah. Right. You know. yeah. Reading in books is never going to go away. So I think we're safe there. Yeah. 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 So what do you wish you'd known about writing and craft? Um, well, like I said, I wrote my first book. Um, actually, my first three books were written in first person present tense, but mm-hmm. I was shooting for the Christian fiction market and mm-hmm. I didn't really, <laughs> I hadn't really read any recent Christian fiction books since like Frank Peretti days. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It changed a lot and I just didn't realize a lot of things. Like I, um, I didn't know that most Christian fiction readers, you know, did not like first person present and that there had to be a really strong romantic element. And I was writing kind of like women's fiction, married women. And Mm -hmm. so it did not fit easily into the romance category. And of course, then I wrote a Viking historical. And that was at the time when Christian fiction did not want international 
historicals. They wanted U.S. set, mm-hmm. you know. So I basically, I totally did not know my market. Mm-hmm. I did not know what I was doing. Uh, I didn't know the tropes. Um, I didn't care because I thought, you know, that my book was going to be epic. <laughs> <laughs> so we all. <laughs> like, I've got, I think, uh, whatever, self-confidence is pretty high up on my whatever <laughs> list of things, but um, as far as writing, at least. But um, so I guess I kind of, um, I kind of just didn't realize what was involved in, mm-hmm. in the genre that I was targeting. So that was kind of something I wish I'd paid attention to and listened to people um, who said things. And I'll probably mention that later on about picking a lane and staying mm-hmm. in it, staying with a genre. But um, I remember when I started out, um, a really a top selling romantic suspense Christian author said, you need to just stick in one genre and do a bunch of books in that genre. So your name is synonymous with that that genre. And I was just like, I don't have to do that. I'm going to write the stories of my heart. I'm going to write, you know, what I want to write. And so I literally jumped from Viking historical to a Christian traditional mystery to Christian romantic suspense and eventually back to the Viking history. So I was all over the board and Basically, I wouldn't look at those as wasted years, but just, and I was learning. I was learning what I wanted to write. I was gathering an audience who thankfully does follow me across genres, shockingly. But um, it's kind of the sort of thing where you just have to learn these things for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Realize you made Sadly, some yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, sometimes there are certain things that, that you can't learn unless you try it yourself, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I do have that thought almost like sometimes it's more of a sneaky thought and sometimes it's like a big gong ringing of, yeah, but right. like that doesn't really work for most people, but yes, it not work for me. And we, an we can yeah. be the exception. That's what I was yeah. going to say. And most of the time. I, well, I think I've, tamped it down enough that it's just this little whisper but sometimes I'm like no no I really do think I could be the exception and you know sometimes it turns out to be right sometimes it turns out to be wrong you just never know right and yeah sometimes you just have to try it you know you know and and I did I it was literally the kind of thing where I have to get it out of my system like I have to get these books out of my system I don't regret writing those books I don't regret getting those readers but I if I knew what then what I knew now I would have stuck to one genre (laughs) yeah good to know good or at least two maybe hence (laughs) the name of the podcast yes (laughs) yes yeah well, what about marketing? What do you wish you had known about marketing? You know, marketing is something that I've always loved. And I don't know if it's one of my strengths or something. I mean, like I just, and communication is pretty high for me. So I think I love that back and forth with readers and like guessing what readers want to see, guessing what they want to read, um, listening to them in reader groups, like cozy mystery groups. Mm-hmm. I kind of lurk around um, and just listen to what they want. Um, so I guess. Like as far as marketing, um, I've marketed since my first book came out. You know, I've never stopped marketing, I feel like, with whatever methods were out because my first book came out in 2013. So back then there were no ads or anything like that. But 
Um, I do kind of wish I would have gotten into the Amazon ads earlier, but it took time. Like I had to research it. I really had to like watch the courses because I'm not the most technologically or math savvy person. So I had to kind of get an idea of what in the world I was doing and ask my critique partner, Becky Daddy. She is amazing. And I asked her so many questions. She's basically been like my agent through all these years. We brainstorm you know, our career trajectory and stuff like that. And, um, but she, you know, she does these things usually before me, she'll get out there and do all the courses and stuff. She must be really high learner and she's like (laughs) absorbing all this information. Then I just ask her like for a brief rundown, how do I do it? And then because activator is number one. So I'm like, me too. I get it done. You know, I, once I set that goal, I'll get it done. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, but so as far as marketing, um, I, I don't have a lot of regrets with that. I just, I feel like it's something that, that I'm one of those weird authors that it, I like it, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I don't run into a lot of authors who like it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What assumptions did you make at the beginning of your writing career and looking back, did they turn out to be right or wrong? <laughs> yeah, that one's, that goes back to the, you know, I'm going to write the next great American novel and everybody's uh-huh. going to love it. And, you know, just cross the board. Uh, it's going to be amazing. And I think a lot of authors go into it that way, thinking you're the exception to the rule and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes it's good that you kind of get stomped down and you have to keep, keep going and keep trying, keep knocking on doors and stuff. Um, another thing I think that I didn't really comprehend, and I think a lot of authors don't, is you think you're going to get mostly good reviews. You know, you mm-hmm. think your your reviews are going to be awesome. And because I am a high communication, I think, um, you know, I, I see authors who are like, oh, I never, you know, read my reviews. I just don't even read them. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do that as an indie author, but also as a high communication, I need that feedback for my readers. If, if my series is going in a bad trajectory, mm-hmm. I want to catch it at book two, not at book five, you know, right. and realize, oh, they did not like this, mm-hmm. you know, matchup. I do. I like love triangles, probably from the <laughs> twilight. <laughs> probably. But, you know, so, and cozy mysteries often have, you know, Sarah, I'm sure oh, yeah. you know, they often have yeah. that love triangle thing, like, who is she going to get with? And, um, mm-hmm. and I like, I've listened to readers too about that. Like, I don't like to let it go on and on and on. Like, I want it to be resolved, which way she's going kind of early in the series. But, um, but anyway, so I guess my assumptions were that, you know, um, I could write whatever I wanted. I didn't have to really be consistent as far as genre. Um, you know, that I would only get good reviews. And of course, once you make a book perma-free, you are going to get some one stars. That is just mm-hmm. a given. So, uh, you know, and I had a, a perma-free book for maybe about three years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely got some lower reviews with that. Um, but yeah, I think that was my main thoughts on assumptions, you know. Yeah. Sounds like uh, stuff we can all <laughs> identify with. <laughs> Reviews are just so hard. I mean, they yeah. are, but it's interesting that you say that about communication because I'm high communication too. And it is really hard for me to not look at my reviews because <laughs> I do need to, like, I want to know what's being said. Uh, yes. It, and they're not always great, you know, and so <laughs> those are hard, but I still, um, 
I still want to know. And and it's interesting because I have a few four-star reviews that honestly read like three-star reviews mm-hmm. and people are like, but they're four-star reviews. I'm like, but did you, if you read them, you would know that they're really three-star, they're not four-star. And I don't think a lot of authors, authors who aren't high communication probably even notice that. They go, yeah. oh, good, four-star review. Let's move right. on. But I have to pull it apart and then right. dissect right. it. It's <laughs> what do they so think? unhealthy. But, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it – but I do think you're right. I think being high communication, you just need that. You need that feedback. And for, yeah. for us, because we're alone so much – that is some of our only feedback. So mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, do you just read your reviews as they come in and just kind of, or do you just go skim them every once in a while and see what people are saying? I do, you know, I don't go on Goodreads as much because mm-hmm. those tend to be, you know, sometimes yeah. not so great. Um, but um, I do go on Amazon. Okay. You know, like I'll notice if I get, sometimes you'll get a big slew of reviews after you do a book club or something. And so yeah. you're just trying to catch up with what they are. But um, yeah, I, I just kind of keep tabs on what they are. And I, you know, I mean, you'll have those reviews where early in my career, obviously you, you want to go in there and say something. You're like, wait a second, you got this whole thing wrong. Like you, you missed the point. Read, you didn't even <laughs> read that right. Um, you, know, I mean, you just can't do it. You can't. You know, yeah. and, and that is hard. I think it is a communication thing. We're like, wait a second, you there's a miscommunication here. You did not get what this yeah. was saying. So I mean it is it's very hard, but I think too that I am at the point. I mean, Becca signs, I I talked to her, a coaching call was awesome. And like the whole course, the whole concept of mm-hmm. using your strengths, maximizing your strengths, um, it kind of helps me to understand even later on, I'll talk about kind of the competition thing and Mm -hmm. and awards contests and stuff. But I think, you know, when you recognize these are your strengths, then you don't have to kick yourself for, Oh, I'm Mm -hmm. reading reviews again. Oh, Mm -hmm. I'm one of those authors who has Mm -hmm. to read the reviews or, Oh, I'm one of those authors who has to enter a word contest just for some kind of validation. I think you just kind of realize things about yourself and then you Mm -hmm. just try to keep them at a manageable level. Social media too, if you're high communication, you like to be involved and Mm -hmm. on there and you have to set your own boundaries and that kind of stuff. That's hard. (laughs) Whatever it is. We'll just move on from that. We're we're (laughs) not <laughs> well, have you ever? We like to talk about like lessons learned, and we touched on some of those things. But have you ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing? Um, yeah, I, you know, I had to. I thought about that, um, and I think that something that would look like a mistake to people is leaving an agent. You know, mm-hmm. once you finally gotten an agent, mm-hmm. um, and I've had five agents, so I, you know, I've, I've been around a long time. <laughs> And, um, but I think that that can look like a mistake and, and especially for people who are traditionally published or they're gearing toward that. They want that. And they see that dream and they see that, oh my word, you have an agent, you know, why would you ever leave them? Um, and I think that, um, I've left agents over the years for different reasons and I have good relationships with, with some of them, you know, most of them probably, but, um, then I don't know, you just, it gives you, there's a stage in your indie career. If you decide you're going to go all in indie, that's kind of what happened for me. I, cause I did traditional 
And then there was a stage um, in 2020 where I started more rapid releasing um, in the genre that I like, which is cozy mystery. And, um, and then by 2021, and I had an agent at that time, I had gotten an agent because there was a possibility for a movie option for my Viking historical. And I wanted an agent just to cover my butt basically, you know, in case of anything, but um, in the meantime, I had submitted, you know, a traditional series with her and it gotten picked up with Kensington with their lyrical lines. So, um, you know, we were doing that and I, I actually had submitted the Barks and Beans Cafe series, which is my current indie series with her and had some interest. But at some point I realized, you know what, I want to do this indie. Actually, I had talked to top selling um, cozy authors like Agatha Frost and Tanya Cappies. Mm-hmm. And I talked to a traditional author and I just, I, I asked a lot of questions. I do like to gather a lot of information before I make a decision. And um by and large, they said, if you want to make money, you need to go indie and do a big series. So I just, at some point I was like, okay, you know what? I know I can do this. I know I can turn these books around. I have a good cover artist. You know, I found a good cover artist. And um, so that's where, you know, I go back to my agent. And I was like, I really, I don't have anything to offer you. I'm not going to be submitting anything. And um, something you learn when you are with agents and um, you know, agencies is that they tend to promote your traditional books. Um, there is not much promotion of your indie books because they're not getting any cut from them. And I mean, it makes right. sense. I understand that because I'm, I'm a total mercenary myself. So I understand that. So I'm mm-hmm. like, well, you know, but I'll just, I'll kind of cut myself loose and let them get authors they can submit and they can be getting you know, the royalties from and stuff like that. Plus I like controlling my rights, like the audiobook, and, um, you know, they may try to exploit your rights, but there was no, no movement with that. So I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to do this myself. Right. And so I left my, my last agent and, you know, I mean, still a good relationship, but, um, so I think that can look like a mistake. Um, and like I said, my critique partner, Becky, Honestly, between her and my husband, who's also very supportive, I feel like they're they're kind of like my agents, at least as far as a whole career trajectory. They can see mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do, and they understand the indie world because mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. talk to them about it too. So, yeah, you know that that's just so valuable to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah I feel like. Uh, agents have like two roles, like they have the kind of helping you shape your career and then also selling, like, and hopefully they have the contacts to get in touch with, you know, different, like maybe foreign rights or, or the person who will sell foreign rights or, you know, houses that we could never submit to. So if that's what you're interested in, then that's good. But a lot of times I feel like the, my experience was that it's more, they're more focused on the book they have right now to sell. And they're not as interested in your broad career, your long-term. They want you to keep writing books and keep turning them out. Basically for me, it was in the same series, you know, like that was the word I got from the publishing house and the agent was like, just keep writing this. It's doing great. And so, you know, like ideas about shifting were not maybe what a friend would tell you or, you know, so I think having writer friends is a great resource as well. Don't you think? I mean, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, what about the opposite? Have you ever had something you thought this is a brilliant idea, but it turned out not to be so great? <laughs> it's our favorite oh, yeah. question. Yeah, I love this question. <laughs> I all have it, you know. Um, and, you know, I, okay, so <laughs> I don't even think my individualization is that high, but I have this thing where I don't want to look like anybody else. Like, I don't want to be inside the box, which explains my lack of knowledge of tropes. You know, I want to look different. I want to be surprising. I want my books to have twists that nobody saw coming. You know, I want to be outside the box. So um, when I submitted a series, a cozy mystery series idea to my agent, um, I came up with this amateur sleuth and she's going to be an exotic pet sitter. Um, And she's also a video gamer. She does video game reviews. Okay. So, okay. And this is a series that got picked up y'all. I mean, it got picked up, but okay. So my first book is about a ball python, her you know, exotic pet that she is pet sitting is a ball python. And of course, a lot of people have ball pythons now, but there are literally people, and I would not acknowledge this even to myself, that will not read a book with a snake in it. Okay, so book one in my exotic pet sitter series features a ball python and a gamer girl. And let me just tell you, that is a very niche thing. There are very few girl gamers, you know, um, in the cozy mystery readership. A little skews a little younger, right? (laughs) In the cozy mystery reader. I do have younger readers of my cozies and I think it is because I work in elements like that. So that worked out. It it did not backfire in my face because I did get a lot of really loyal readers who followed me to my indie, um, series, which I did much more to market. I have a dog, you know, and shelter dogs featured in that. So I yeah. definitely, and a cafe. So I steered. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. But I thought, with that, you know, like I just thought, man, this ball python. And I love my titles. It was like Belinda Blake and the snake in the grass, Belinda Blake and the wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, I had a lot of, I just, I love the titles. They kept the titles I, I did, which is awesome. But Which um, is unusual. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's I love tiling things. Like tiling things is, is something. Me too. Love, it's one of my favorite things. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's fun. But um, so I guess that was like something I thought. So of course my sales were not what they wanted, although it was weird because um, you know, I thought it performed really well when we had book bub deal ads for the books, but um I guess it wasn't up to the level they wanted of sales. So they did not renew me for another, like for the fourth book in that series. Although I do have readers who are like, so then when you're finishing that series, you're like, well, how do I wind it up? Like, yeah. do mm-hmm. I didn't know if I was going to be picked up for right. more. Um, so you're kind of trying to leave a little loose ends, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, for more stories, but also wrap things up. And so I still have readers who want more books in that series, but I'm just like, yeah, I'm I'm full on with this Barks and Beans Cafe because mm-hmm. that is my most popular series to date. So yeah, uh, you know the ball python, but you know I had readers who are like, I did not want to read this. I hate snakes and spiders, and you know the I was going to say, did you have a spider one? Because that no, really- I have not done. I am not that stupid now. I have figured it out, <laughs> but um, I did think about it. I literally did think about it. But, being out of the box, exotic yeah. pets, you know, exactly. but no, so I did have readers who were like, I, the snake's name was Rasputin. So a lot yeah. of people are like, Rasputin is my favorite character by the end of the book. So yes. well, that's I good. feel like my work was done. 
I, I am not a snake person at all, but I did so much research with people who have ball pythons that now I think I'm, I would be comfortable with touching, you know, a ball python mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that. That's good. So. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Out of the box. That's what I mean. <laughs> well, that's like the limbo that you get into when you're traditionally published because you don't really know if the series is going to go on or not. When you're usually, usually when you're writing the book, you don't know if you need to wrap it up or not. And it's very, very frustrating for authors and readers too. Yeah. And another drawback is that you're writing, and, and this was a more of a rapid release. I kind of set my release thing. This was a, an ebook first line, the lyrical line where you get no, um, no payment up front. You just get royalties. I would not recommend doing that. I just, you know, I would recommend at least getting an advance. Um, but it, it was a good way to get readers and tap into new things. But another thing is you're writing. So I was writing like book two before book one even came out. So I did not know how people were going to react to uh, the romantic. Yeah. You know, there were two romantic interests. I didn't know how people were going to react to that or to just anything. So you're mm-hmm. kind of writing blind. Whereas with Andy, I get my book up. I look at my reviews or whatever reader feedback or I can as an indie I can ask my readers um about book blurbs and I'm very interactive with my really my core group of readers um like as far as cover art book blurbs um even titles and I love that kind of organic relationship with readers that I get as an indie Mm -hmm. um because like even my Christian, I'm going to finish my Christian mystery series uh next year the final book will come out in that and for example, like I had come up with titles, they're all like legal type titles, like Miranda Warning, Trial by 12, Guilt by Association. And I was trying to think of the title for the last book. And I came up with a list of like six titles. I really like Search and Seizure. I thought that's like an awesome title. They're going to pick this, but I threw it out there for my newsletter readers. I threw it out there for my Facebook group and, you know, my close readers, um, and it just, it killed me because they did not like search and seizure. <laughs> they unanimously chose um, false pretense, which actually works really well with, oh, yeah. Yeah. which it works well with what this mystery is going to be. But I have just found that that reader interaction is so valuable because inevitably they will instinctively, the majority will choose the most marketable mm-hmm. option. Mm-hmm. And so I can trust them, you know, to, so it's just really interactive and I love that. And you just, you don't get that with traditional publishing. You 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 don't don't get uh, much of a say. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, what about um, mindset? What's the biggest mindset change you've had to make during your career? Yeah, that, that is something that, okay. I'm still kind of working on it. Um, (laughs) Aren't we all? (laughs) So many things. In 2020, like before everything blew up with COVID, um, you know, I was considering going into Kindle Unlimited. I wasn't in there yet. Um, I was considering Amazon ads, reading up on that. I was considering rapid release and of course, (laughs) considering going all indie on that, on that mystery series. So I had a lot that I was thinking about and, you know, with input from my husband and my critique partner, um, I decided to do all of those things. And thankfully, 2020 was kind of a windfall year for me because of the Amazon ads and the the rapid release and um, things like that. But I think that it it really was something I had to get my mind around because since like 20, I don't know, 2011, I've been in, in these author circles and you get... Um, 
I don't, I don't really know how to put this, but there's a lot of competition and it's all sort of in the traditional realm. So mm-hmm. indies are kind of, mm-hmm. um, indies are still kind of, I'm in They're a Christian kind of indie outside the circle. <laughs> yeah. So you don't get the accolades. This is the thing. Um, you can now enter now indies back when I started, indies couldn't even enter contests. Mm-hmm. Now you can enter contests and I've, I've even won a contest or like finaled in the Christie's and, I've gotten accolades, you know, like a publisher's weekly star review on one of my indie books that that means a lot to me. But the thing that I have to realize is that my readers do not care about that. They they literally do not care what awards I get or don't get there. I have good readers who will share, you know, if I share, mm-hmm. oh, I won this award. Um, they will share that and it helps beef up your bio, I guess. But other than that, like you have to just, come to this point where you're realizing, like I had to come to this point where I realized I do not care as much if my books are on literal bookshelves, which at the time, nobody could go to bookstores, mm-hmm. you know, um, I was, and I had to realize, I don't care if I, if I don't win these awards that all my author friends are trying to get, mm-hmm. what I care about is sales. I care mm-hmm. about money in the bank. That's mm-hmm. what I actually need right now. Like I say, I'm a little bit mercenary. And I was like, this is the route that I need to take to help pay for my kids' college. I mean, I've been working basically full-time author for years and not making enough. And I'm still not at six figures. Like I'm I'm like probably one of your lowest paid authors <laughs> out there. But, um, you know, I'm at, I'm at five figures and it's growing. You know, I can see it growing with this series and I'm, I'm very thankful, but it's like, that was the trade-off. The trade-off is yes, I can still, but now I just choose which contests I really want to win. And I enter those. So I'm still, I still have competition in there. I still like to, because I want indie authors to get the accolades that they deserve and fantastic, but I I'm always so happy when indie authors win things. Um, and stuff. And I'm, I'm thankful that those doors are open. That used to be, honestly, when I started, they would be slammed in your face often. There would be, you know, bloggers or reviewers who'd be like, no, I will not read indie books. Um, oh, yeah. Or, you know, authors who would not. And the funny thing to me now is that some of those authors are indie and they're mm-hmm. killing it indie, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, um, but at the time, indie was just not as respected. So, no. I, so I think it's like that was a mind shift change for me was that. I'm not just going for the awards. I'm not just going to get my book, have my picture with my book on the bookshelf, at a, mm-hmm. which I've had some of those with my traditional books. Mm-hmm. But did it give me the the income I needed? No. Mm-hmm. And I hear so many traditional authors just lamenting their lack of income. And when you count in like the, the agent cut and the, you know, the, the tiny percentage that they get for eBooks, which as us for Indies, we're like, that is our main moneymaker is the mm-hmm. ebooks. And, and it works great in times of COVID because people are reading at home. They're, they want to, you know, binge read these things. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that, that was kind of a huge mindset, but it's still hard for me because I'll still mm-hmm. come up with an idea of a traditional series. And I'm like, I want to be a household name. And I feel like that's the only way to do it is to get, you know, all of the book reviewers to read it who will only read, traditional titles um, or mass market books or whatever. And I just, I constantly have to kick myself down and say, no, you know, that is not your goal. You're and, and even Becca Syme, because I am high strategy. She was telling me like with your strategy, I need to 
look toward 10 years down the road, not just like, oh, I've got to make this money now. I've got to hit this goal right now, you know, kind of widen it out and realize that if I keep going this way, my income will keep increasing, you know? Right. 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 So yeah, that was a big mindset change. That's great. Traditional, you know, Mm -hmm. publishing and it's Mm -hmm. still tempting. It really is still tempting. I think to authors, even if you're indie, you're like, Oh, if I can just get this kind of a traditional deal, but Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm not making enough indie yet to. No, just, I, I don't think that's just it. Just be like, nah, I don't want it. Yeah, I don't think that's <laughs> it. I mean, at Nink two years ago, my very best year ever financially, um, I sat down with someone from Entangled Books and pitched them an idea because I thought this would be really cool. But, you know, after I left there, she was interested. She, we talked for a long time. She told me to email her. But when I got back to my room, thankfully, (laughs) since came to me, I got out of that kind of fame fog and was Mm -hmm. like, every book I write for them is a book I cannot write for myself. And I don't write fast enough to make that worth it. And so I just sort of had to let that go because it did not meet my goal. It did not, you know, having a traditional deal was not on my goals list. It just was something that kind of, you know, popped up because she was talking about making people bestsellers and household names. And I was like, oh, well, that should be me. And, you know, thankfully. It's so tempting. Yeah, it is. I like that fame fog that, that really, mm-hmm. that really captures it. And, and you have to kind of fight against that, I think. And, and honestly, you know what I do is I go and publish a rocket. I don't know how, I, I know it's not completely accurate, but like you yeah. can type in names of authors and you can kind of see roughly what they're making. Mm-hmm. And invariably um, the Indies are killing it. Yeah. So I'm just yeah. like, you know what? I need the income right now. Yeah. I, yeah. You know? And yeah, I yeah there may be a time that, that that is on my goal list, but right now it's right. not. Yeah, yeah, right. I get that. Yeah. I get that. Well, I want to ask you something that you kind of alluded to earlier about your co-writing. So mm-hmm. the con. So I'm assuming when you said you were thinking about who's going to have our rights and who's mm-hmm. you know later and stuff, you're talking about a contract that you mm-hmm. guys were coming up with. Was that is that a contract you drew up for the lawyer, or is that like mm-hmm. a preform contract? contract or just something you guys came up together? Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, I feel like it was sort of breaking new ground, but my husband is a lawyer. So So I do get his services for free. And so I, you know, but he, oh my goodness, he is such a perfectionist. So he worked on that thing so much longer than I thought. And it got longer and longer. I'm like, I just wanted a one page yeah, yeah. But he does an amazing job and he's thinking of all the possibilities and the future. And he made me think about things I hadn't thought about um, because this is a new venture for me. I'm going to publish a, um, as my publishing house name, which is Woodhaven Press, I'm going to be publishing a book that is co-written between me and a debut author mm-hmm. um, who wanted me to look at her Viking book. And when I read it, I knew uh, this book has to be published. Like I can't, I can't just sit on this. So then we worked together doing edits and, you know, getting it kind of polished up and stuff. So yeah, it was, it was like whole new ground for a contract. Cause I know he had to go all over the place trying to figure out what elements he needed in there and stuff like that. So what do you think the most important things to have in a co-writing contract is that are, are, 
Wow. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the royalties, the way that they split, you have mm-hmm. to be able to agree on that. Um, you have to agree on like cover art, who has the final say and things like cover mm-hmm. art and edits and um, deadlines and things like that. Um, those are very important. Um, you know, I, I think really royalties and just how they would be split how it would go over time, you know, if something happened to either one of you, is this going to, you know, like with a traditional publisher, eventually you get your rights back, which is what I'm hoping to do with Kensington and get my snake book back. (laughs) Um, You know, so you have to decide, are you going to like some book collections, like one of the traditional collections I did with Barber uh, was a novella collection and eventually we could get our rights back. So I republished mm-hmm. my novella, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. You could do a contract like that, or you could do a long running, like forever contract. And I felt like since my name is on this book, as well as her name, mm-hmm. then it needs to be in our names for life, you know, mm-hmm. because she can't unpublish it's not like she has half and I have half. It's the whole book is ours together, a joint yes. effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It was a new kind of new ground. Yeah. yeah. I think that's so important now. And I think it's a, something that a lot of people don't think about. So yeah. Yeah. thank you for yeah. answering yeah. that. That was great. Yeah. Well, I want to go back and touch on your, hear more about your series and your rapid release, because I think mm-hmm. people will be really curious about how you wrote it, how you released it, because it's pretty recently that it came out. If it came out in 2020, is that what you said? Okay. Yeah. I highly recommend um, Elena Johnson's book about rapid releasing because she has released all different speeds, you know, and I was like, Oh my goodness, I can't release like a book every two weeks or, you know, it takes me longer to write a book and get it polished and ready and everything. Um, but when I did the Belinda, well, the Exotic Pet Sitter series, I realized I could get three books out in a year. Like three books for me is a lot. And so me I figured, <laughs> I figured I can do it for this. Why can't I do it for myself? So right. I'm, I decided to get three uh, mysteries out in the series. I would say one every I might have started out every two months. Um, now I can span them a little bit farther. Like um, book five is coming out on the 18th, which is actually, it's my 18th published book. So I, I think that's kind of cool. But, um, yeah, that is. So that'll be book five. Um, and then, but I kind of like, I bumped book six to May. So I'm taking bigger spaces in between those books because I have all these other projects going on. Mm-hmm. But I think with the rapid release, you just determine, and because I, I talked to Elaine, I was like, oh my goodness, do I have to do it like every month, a book a month, or I'll fall off the Amazon cliff or whatever mm-hmm. that thing is they say. Um, and she was like, no, you do rapid releases, what you can manage mm-hmm. to do, you know, quickly. So, um, so like I say, in 2020, I think I got the first one out in June and the second, no, May and July and October or something like that. Um, and it worked really well. Like I, mm-hmm. I felt like, and I write the books before, like I'm not ahead. So mm-hmm. I just write the book, then I edit it, then I, you know, publish it. So it's not like I'm working way ahead, like some authors I've heard do. I, I just can't, I can't do that. So Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, like I say, it's really important to have a good cover designer lined up. And I did a lot of research on cozy covers, trying to find one that would have the look that I wanted. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> I found one that I love and I never want to tell people who she is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't ask. <laughs> yeah. She's so 
so booked up, but she's awesome. And she, she gets like what I'm doing with the, just visually marketing mm-hmm. wise, um, keeping the look consistent with the covers and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. So that was, that was something, you know, that I wanted to do. And I wanted to try Kindle Unlimited because I know those readers basically binge books like candy, you know, so they'll, mm-hmm. once they find that author, they'll read straight through the series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's been kind of another mindset change for me too, um, as of 2020 was going into KU, um, because I had had a perma-free, I was wide and everything like that. But what I was finding is that on my dashboard, I could tell that people were reading through my mystery series and returning them. Boom, boom, boom. Like the same day you would see Mm. one, two, three, and then return. And I knew they're just, they're treated like a library, like it's Mm -hmm. free, you know, and, and I just, I got sick of it and I got sick of the low reviews on the perma-free book um, because Mm -hmm. people were picking up the perma-free book. They don't even read the blurb. They don't realize this is Christian fiction or, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. They don't even read any of it. So Mm -hmm. of course you're going to get low reviews. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, I mean, that was a big jump jumping into KU, but my husband was like, just try it, you know, see how it goes. And then that combined with the Amazon ads really did help. Um, it helped this series take off. And I have found some awesome KU readers. I mean, they are just so appreciative. I I can't even describe it, but they're so hungry for more and they let you know that they love your series. And I'm not saying that that other readers don't. I have I have readers who love soft covers, you know, I have readers who love audiobooks. I have I have, you know, a wide variety of readers, but I've just been really impressed with the Kindle Unlimited readers. So that was kind of part of that rapid release mindset change that I decided to try it. Now, I'm not saying I'll never go wide because I really want a BookBub US deal ad. I've had an international deal ad for this uh, series, but I cannot get um, a US deal. And I just know that that would really bring this series to the readers who would love it. You know, I mean, it's, it's a cafe where people can pet shelter dogs. I mean, people love the, the concept of it. And they, they tell me that. And I'm like, I just wish more people would, would find it, you know, mm-hmm. so, but Kindle Unlimited is a great way. It works well in tandem with the Amazon ads because mm-hmm. it's, you know, bringing that up yeah. into the feed of people who can binge read stuff. Right. So. Right. That's but, great. I mean, it's working for me now. It may not work forever. Yeah, things nope. change. <laughs> Got to pivot. You may have to pivot, but that's, that's keep, right. your pivot, keep your pivot yeah. foot down. That's what I say. Um, yeah. So you have a book called the Ending Publishing Handbook, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which I think is awesome. I think that for before we got on, you were saying it's for people who are really just thinking about starting yeah. um, and stuff. Can you tell us any more about it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wrote that book back when I did start in 2013. I literally had authors coming to me every week. I mean, and I'm talking about traditionally published authors who were like, how do you do this? What what do I need to do? And I just did not have, I fielded those questions for a long time. And I was like, I don't have time to to tell you everything. So, um, you know, much as I like to help people and I've, I've helped a lot of people go India over the years and yeah. it's, it's such a great experience to see. And I have, um, you know, some people who've read that book and gone indie and I'm just so proud of them. I'm <laughs> like, you did a great job. You did everything perfectly. Um, but it was, <clears throat> it was written earlier, but I did update it, I think in 2018, but it's just really the basic, like, 
mostly monetary considerations, which mm-hmm. some of those prices might have changed, but it's sort of telling you um, the things that you will need to do yourself or the things that you could eventually outsource, just things like that to think right. about before right. you go into. So it's kind of a <clears throat> it's kind of a big picture type of book, I guess. And it's very, it's a very short book. But it is the kind of things that I think you should consider if you're going to make indie publishing your career and you're not yes. just like self-publishing so that you get a book out for your family or even like a, a right. memoir like I've done for my great aunt. You know, I did her memoir, but it's like mm-hmm. if you're doing it as a career, right. it needs to, you need to look at it as, you know, as an entrepreneur, like, you know, like Joanna Penn and Joanna's part of the reason why I went indie in the first place because mm-hmm. she was out there telling us how to do it. and and to be an entrepreneur. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great resource to have because Mm -hmm. so much of right now there's so much information. It can be overwhelming and there's so many questions. So if if somebody could get that and it could help them answer the bigger questions, I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's the best thing you've done to set yourself up for success? Oh, wow. Um, I, you know, I guess I would say now it's, it's writing in a genre that I love, um, you know, and you know, it's like, why did I not figure out that cozy mysteries would be an easy fit for me? Because I did grow up reading Agatha Christie and, you know, Daphne du Maurier, Phyllis Whitney, all the, the kids, you know, Nancy Drew Encyclopedia Brown, all of it. Like I was never a romance, a heavy romance reader. Um, or even a historical reader, although I do read historicals and classics. I mean, I read pretty widely, but I, I don't know why it never clicked with me that that would be something that I preferred. Um, so I think now that I've found the genre that it's actually really fun for me to write. It's not as research intensive as the Viking historicals, which I have a special place in my heart for Vikings. <laughs> I'm allegedly related to Eric the Red and stuff like that. So that's how I got into my whole Viking um, mm-hmm. obsession. And it's cute because I have readers who really love the Vikings and they'll, they post every time there's a new Viking, you know, news article that comes up. So it's, it's really sweet. And I'm not going to leave that, that world. But um, I think when you just find that genre that really clicks and kind of comes not always easy, but it it comes the easiest for you Mm -hmm. to write it. um, I think that's, that's something that has, I guess, set me up for success and just writing a longer series. You know, I, I see the value of series um, now and, and trying to release more quickly and things like that. So, and honestly being indie, I, I think being indie is something that I has set me up for at least income success at this right. stage okay. of my career. Cause when you can see your pre-orders going up with each book, mm-hmm. then it's like, okay. And it might not be by like thousands or something, so I'm, you know, but it, it's just like, you see them going up, then, you know, okay, I'm doing something right. Like these mm-hmm. readers are sticking with me. They want to get the next book. Right. You know? Right. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, tell people where they can find you, Heather. They can find, you know, all my books, everything at heatherdaygilbert.com. So, yeah, I did the day in there. That's my maiden name. So, because I figured there'd be a lot of Heather Gilberts out there. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. my author name. Um, I haven't done a pen name yet, although I've been tempted by several other genres. I really would <laughs> love to write a psychological thriller someday. Um like a clean one because I write clean fiction. So it's like so many of the psychological thrillers are language heavy or whatever. I'm just like, 
Anyway, sorry, that's a rabbit trail, but <laughs> <laughs> no names yet. So you can find me at heatherdaygilbert.com. And of course, all over Amazon. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, Pinterest, not on TikTok. Like I think you are, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> I Actually, I'm taking... I've taken a little TikTok break, so uh, I just had to kind of take a break, which was which was kind of bad timing because I took a, I decided I needed a break yeah. the day my new book came out. So you know, it's like that was horrible timing, but it was just like it was too much. So yeah, yeah, yeah. but I well, do like it. Yeah, I think some people just are really natural at it. And I just, I don't think I am. My daughter's like, you've got to get on there. You got to get, and I'm just like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't even have it. So I don't know yeah. how to do it. You know, I'm back from the Pinterest days. Like yeah. I have Pinterest boards. And stuff. <laughs> Which is great. Which is great for cozies. Yeah. I think that's yeah. probably it's a better fit for, for cozies. It is. It is good. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Well, it's been great having you here. We appreciate your time. And I know this uh, episode is going to be great for our listeners. They're going to love it. Mm-hmm. Oh, they thank are. you. I hope it's helpful. I mean, like I say, I'm not at the tippy top of the earning bracket yet. And I really, you know, I'm trying to get there, but I have learned so much through this podcast. And I just hope that, you know, some of what I've experienced and mistakes I've made help some other people too. Great. I am sure they will. And I think you're doing pretty good. I do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we'll have all the links in the show notes and you can find those at wish I'd known them podcast.com. And thanks to Alexa Larberg for editing and producing the podcast. And we'll see y'all next week. Bye. 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 Thank you. Thanks for listening to the wish I'd known then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.